This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Kenyan Wall Street Podcast. This is Midday Investor hosted by Ali Mwakane Nogakweli. So today we're sitting with Nimrod Gaba from Vital Impact and we want to talk about generally the investment space in Africa and address a few nitty-gritties on what Vital does, specifically focusing on um, Vital Impact Relief Fund, which is well, which recently gave two facilities to solar tech and Ivan Nuts, I'm, I'm not so sure I say that right. And uh, there it goes. Welcome, Nibrit. Hi, thanks very much, Ali. Thanks for having me. No problem. So um, let's get to know you a little bit. What are the three things that um, Vital Capital would look for in a company before they invest in it? Mm, yeah, I think it's pretty simple. We'll look for you know good business and good business case. Mm-hmm. We'll look for good impact that the company is doing or plan to do and the most important is we look for good people so it would be good business good impact and good people the better these three components are the more uh chances we'll go in and, and partner with them. you know when you say an impact this is definitely something that we'll, we'll talk about as, as the show goes on and what does what does good impact look, look like for you that's a very uh, broad and interesting question. And actually, I think uh, I think today we have much better answers for this specific question than we had 20 and or, uh, 10 or even 10 years ago. So mm-hmm. 10 years ago when we said that we're going to you know to, to pioneer uh, impact investing in Africa, that was kind of a broad term that people could interpret interpret it in different ways. I think today, right. Uh, the impact industry had uh, progressed and advanced so much that you can actually say uh, what you want to do and how you're going to uh, monitor it and measure it during the life cycle of every investment. So it would be, you know, the do no harm, all the ESG aspects according to very well-defined criteria, and then it will be what is the positive impact that you're trying to achieve. And I think it will be very focus on why you can measure and why you can monitor and not only, you know, uh, goodwill declarations. <laughs> you, you have your goodwill declarations. So, um, you guys are private equity within this, focus on the Sub-Saharan Africa for around 10 years, right? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, maybe what, like, what makes you different from other investors, you know, in PE, or in the impact space within Africa? What's your unique selling proposition as an investor? I think, you know, we're very performance driven. Um, we came from operational background, most of us, and, you know, we lived and worked in Africa. I personally lived uh, lived in Africa more than a decade and, and worked much more. So we all came from, you know, managing businesses and managing projects. So uh, we know the, the reality and we, we look at things from this lens. So first of all, we look at things from the management and um, on the ground reality point of view. And later on, we look at that as investors. I think that allows us, uh, first of all, to relate to local businesses much in a much closer way. 
we live the reality as the local business does and less than uh, you know a far away financial investor uh, and it, it allows us to look at opportunities that maybe um, traditional private equities will shy away from so you know we're not afraid of greenfield and execution either sectors that we know we're not afraid of turnarounds we're not afraid of you know majority stakes or very strong minority stakes uh, so and you know we want to be in a place that we drive the agenda so i think sometimes the pe's are taking a more i would say uh distance or remote position but we want to be in we want to live the reality and we have a lot to bring because we have been living this reality for so long. I really want to get into, into you know, some of the sectors. I like that you mentioned that you guys are kind of different from um, whether you have a unique approach compared to other private investment firms. And that and I want to get into the sectors. But before, you know, before we get there, there's something that you mentioned that you guys came from a more operational approach, if you'd rather. What's the story behind you know, the founding of, of, of Vital and how did you guys, you know, decide to set up private equity and um, focus on sub-Saharan Africa? That's a story I, I really like to reflect on Ali because it was kind of an uh, interesting evolution. So we've been uh, working in, in emerging markets with a lot of focus in, in sub-Saharan Africa for a while. So I've been, uh, you know, uh, 20 years working, my other partners are 25 years working. We've been actually... You know, managing projects as EPC uh, partners or contractors, and then we've been managing small, well, you know, medium businesses and, uh, and larger businesses as okay as CEOs and then managers and as project managers, as the guys on the ground that drive these things. And you know, uh, evolving and getting bigger, we uh, we found ourselves you know merging here and putting a lot of a bit of an equity there, just because it was a need, not because it was. A strategy, you know, and reality right. evolved. So we've been, you know, merging and taking more companies and uh, investing a bit of equity here and investing a bit of equity there. And one time, one day, we woke up to find out that we we're actually more investors than, uh, you know, than managers and operators. And then we said, okay, if we're investing so much, if we're bringing so much of our equity to the table, and we see that the reality in Africa changed and transformed from, you know. EPC stuff to equity and investment skin in the game stuff, let's do it in a professional way. And then we decided to create Vital. So that all this evolution happened until 10 years ago. And in 2010, uh, we woke up and said, okay, let's do investment as investment should be. And then we established Vital. We actually brought, you know, we had a very, very strong operational core, people like myself, you know, that are years in operation management. And then we brought uh, I would say two different uh, uh, groups of people. One is, uh, you know, professional investors, people that came from, you know, the depth of their craft, uh, institutional uh, investing and more disciplined investment. A lot of XDFI guys. So that's one. That's one uh, type of of, uh, of people of, of people that we brought. And the other are, um, you know, impact investment people, impact uh, people that, uh, you know, these are. This is their profession. So they study that, they are they profess in impact. So, you know, we came with people like myself, we came with a very strong operational background, and then we brought people like the you know, head of investment, you know, Francisco Machado, uh, XDFIs that brought, uh, you know, uh, more disciplined investment uh, practices. And then we brought uh, people like uh, Tamar Pashtan, head of impact that brought 
the professional impact practice in the table. And that is the tripod where Vital sits on. So operational uh, investment and impact. You know, the beauty of having um, sort of evolved in, into investment, as you put it, you know, engaging in uh, engaging in putting stakes in different in different companies before you actually started Vital, kind of lengthens the amount of time you had to you know understand the lay of the land and sort of collect impact, collect insights, if you'd rather, on, on, on Africa. What are, what are some of the things that you've you've picked up? throughout your, your investment journey, you know, um, pre-vital and in vital. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, that's also a question that uh, we try to stop and, and ask ourselves once in a while, uh, you know, in an organized way. Um, because otherwise you might evolve to, uh, you might evolve to where it is easier. So I, I think you, you have to start from the ground up. You have to know the reality on the ground. Uh, if you wanna, if you wanna invest in logistic business, and you have to know, you know, what is the truck driver experience first? Okay. So I would, you know, if 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 we're going to do a, a, a heavy on logistics, you know, on the road kind of trucking stuff, so we will go and we sit with the truck driver. And will drive for three days on the exact roads where you know he's driving, so we will understand how it looks from his point of view. And I've done that, you know, and we're doing that all the time. So I, right. I would say the most most important thing is to understand the realities on the ground and the motivation and incentives in the market from the ground level, not from the macro, you know, analysis of what what's the trend for the next twenty years. I'm not saying there's no place for that. There's a lot of place for that, but that's not our place. Our place is from the ground, understanding the realities, understanding the motivation, understanding the limitation, and building the business around that. Uh, what we have learned and uh, is that we want to be active. Uh, we don't want to, you know, sit and give, uh, you know, advice, you know, remotely with, you know, from a board seat. We want to be active. We want to add value. We want to be involved. We want to be able to drive the agenda. And it fits, uh, you know, some companies, it fits a lot and it works well. And others, you know, they would rather have a passive investor. So we understood that our value is where, where we are very active. So I would say we, uh, we want to start from the ground, from the realities, from the market, um, and go up and build the case around that. And we want to be active, not, you know, come and visit or uh, get the report and give some advice from the board. So that's not our specific place. Again, it is very related to our uh, DNA. So that's, that's, a very, that's a very strong thing that we learned, I would say, about ourselves. Another thing is that uh, things change. Things are dynamic. I mean, we're live, we live in markets where there's some kind of crisis uh, or very big change. Every few years, so it's not that you can you do a plan with some small contingencies and you hope that nothing will change. Things will change. Um, it can be political. It can be pandemic. It can be economical crisis. It, it can be some macro stuff that immediately affect um, uh, you know where you invest in, and it's very different from the different places in Africa. So if you invest in Kenya or in Congo or in Ghana, it's very different. You know, maybe maybe COVID affected everyone, uh, all the all the economies, but 
but you have, it's very dynamic. So you have to build your case. You have to build your business, uh, both on the financial side and on the impact side to be resilient to these changes. Our solution or our way is again to go basic. Um, so, you know, if, if, if you supply water or if you supply energy or if you supply food, these are things that are more resilient to whatever change that you have. So, you know, you can have, uh, you know, government can change, but but food is still a need. And it will be very hard for the new government and, and very undesired for the new government to not to assist a business that creates, you know, food or water. You know what I'm saying? Unlike other businesses that are more related to the, the political agenda or the trends, etc. Uh, yeah, there's so many other lessons uh, that we learned and we keep learning every day. I mean, COVID was a, a very interesting lesson for, uh, for, for a challenge for everyone. Um, and we're still learning. Definitely we're still learning. I really want to go into, into some of the challenges that you, you sort of encounter just based on, you know, operating within Africa. But that's definitely something that we'll get into, you know, as the podcast progresses, maybe. Um, before we go on, what are some of the sectors that um, that you know Vital is is looking into? And maybe just to add on to that, um, what are some of the milestones that you've achieved in, in these sectors, and what are some of the challenges that you faced? As I said, only we go for the essential. So we go for food, we go for water, we go for healthcare, and we go for sustainable infrastructure. So mainly, you know, these are the main sectors that we aim for. Um, and this is where we have a lot of knowledge and, and a lot of experience, and they are uh, more resilient to change than, than, than others. So these are, I would say, the four sectors that we, we're busy with. Uh, milestones, so, you know, after, after 10 years in private equity, you can already see and measure by results, not only by projections and intentions and uh, and excels in PowerPoints, but actually the, the actual results. And we have very interesting milestones. I think we were one of the pioneering uh, funds in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, you can look at the, you know, in the impact industry, you look at one of the first milestones in um, big impact investment in Africa is, is Vital Capital. So we've invested today $350 million in Sub-Saharan Africa in impact investment. We've done several exits. We have great financial performance so you know we definitely uh, performed much more than uh, the average impact investor and the average P in africa and maybe the average um uh, impact investor in emerging markets in growth markets as well so we have so we achieve very good financial results and that's again money back to the investors so uh it's not not uh projections or anything like that the cycle cycle completed, investors put money with the intention to make good returns and to make good impact. And they definitely take the make good returns uh, box and they definitely take the make amazing and transformative impact box, you know. So, you know, more than 6 million people have access to, uh, you know, essential services like food, shelter, water uh, that they wouldn't have without the vital investment in the portfolio companies. You know, thousands of jobs, uh, not temporary jobs, but permanent jobs, uh, you know, regional economical development. So I think I think we look back at these 10 years, it was an amazing journey. 
difficult at times, challenging at times. Actually, difficult and challenges, uh, you know, almost every day. <laughs> but but when you look at both what you do and the transformation you, you're doing and the same time, the financial returns you, you're able to give to your investors, uh, I think, uh, I think you know, that's definitely what we want to continue doing. And, um, and I think, you know, this... Uh, this is a showcase of how you can do impact investment in Africa without compromising, without trade-off, without asking people to, to you know, to donate money, without going to aid. On the other hand, with focus on the local communities and you know, low and middle-income uh, uh, communities, and on how you create sustainable impact on the ground. So yeah, that that was our journey so far. Let's dive into, into impact investment a little bit. And um, I, I really, really have to ask this because um, we've, we've had cases trending online where impact investment is viewed in our uh, not, not so bright, bright light, uh, specifically with um, um, skepticism on, you know, are we investing into this business because it is a sound business or are we investing um, into this business simply because, you know, there's a promise of a, of a brighter future for a certain population. From a vital and well, personal point of view, if you will, how do you balance the importance of, you know, impact and uh, making sure this is actually a, a sound investment before you invest into it and maybe during and after? That's, uh, uh, I mean, I understand your question. I think it's super important for um, you know, for uh, for impact investors to explain this well, and I think sometimes impact investment is perceived uh, as something else than it really is. Now, let me first uh, give a small disclaimer. There's a spectrum of impact investor. Okay, so not everyone is the same. Some of them uh, in this spectrum, uh, some of them aim for for different stuff. I can I, I want to represent ourselves here, and maybe not impact investment as an industry, okay? I want to represent how okay. we look at impact investment. So how do we balance the impact and, 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 the, and the financial performance? We do not balance. We do not want to trade off. We do not want to enter place where uh, you have to trade off between impact and financial. So if I look at, uh, you know, if I look at, the, at the, an opportunity, the financial teams will look at and ask themselves only the financial question, regardless of impact. Okay, is that a very good business that will that will make good returns as investors? As if there's no impact, and the impact team will ask themselves, is that a good business impact-wise that will make the outcomes that we're aiming for, regardless of the financial? So we call that you know dual gatekeeper. It goes back from the initial teams that do the due diligence. They don't. They don't sit on the same in the same table and have brainstorming when one say, when the financial guys would say, you know, it's a great business. Don't you know, you guys in the impact side, don't, don't give us a hard time. It doesn't happen that way. It's totally separate uh, discussion. Impact discussed on the impact outcomes. Financial discussed on the financial outcomes. And only if these two are satisfying. And only if these two uh, are above what we're looking for, it goes actually up and enters the process. And, you know, if we look at the deal um, and it's not profitable business, it will not pass to the next phase of, of analyzing. 
Okay, so we have that right in the beginning when it enters the pipeline, and we have another station right at the end in the investment committee. So we have an investment committee and we have an impact committee. Okay, the impact committee has a veto. Okay, so if the investment committee said that's a great business, we love it, but the impact committee said that there's not enough impact, it will not fly. So all the way through from the beginning of the funnel to the end, uh, these two things exist. And again, uh, you know, we you should look at the business and you should look at the financials as if there's no impact, and you should look at the impact as if there's no financials. Only if these two are good enough and what you're looking for, then you can go on. Now, one can say, but wait, what happens if two very similar twin opportunities come and uh, here, it, uh, you know, this uh, the impact is uh, 7.5 and... Uh, um, and the financial is 6.8, and the other twin opportunities uh, exactly exactly the mirror. Well, uh, it doesn't happen. I mean, not in our reality. In our reality, we struggle to get good opportunities. So, um, you know, it's a theoretical, philosophical, legitimate question, but it's not a realistic, practical question. Because, you know, we're fighting for flow, we're fighting for pipeline, we're fighting for good opportunities. And a good opportunity that both passes what we're trying to achieve in the impact and what we're trying to achieve in the financial is rare to find, right? We have to struggle for that. You hardly have, you know, two twin opportunities or, you know, very similarly, you have to make these uh, judgments and, and discussions. I like the fact that you talked about um, impact and financial sort of being two separate boxes that a business has to, you know, check both for you to proceed and which feeds into my next question. And I, I might have to modify this a little bit based on your reality here. What are some of the due diligence processes that um, Vital Impact engages in just to make sure that this business is impact sound? Vis-a-vis, -vis, what are some of the things that you look at to make sure that this business is, you know, it makes business sense before then you merge those two? Again, this is this is based on the presumption that you've sat on both tables before. You know, I would I would say again, and that's that's to to echo what you mentioned at the beginning. You will not do positive, sustainable impact if the business is not financially sound. I mean, if the business will lose money, the impact will be negative. It will not be right. positive; it will be negative because you will come, you will introduce a service uh, to a place, and then when the company goes bust this service will disappear. So, you know, people might, you have a white elephant or you have a service that people bought and paid for and, you know, they spent money and they actually cannot use that. And we see that so many times. We see that every, actually everywhere in Africa and in other, um, uh, you know, developing countries around the world, you see this. You see the result of, of not looking on financial soundness as sustainability. So we're not confused here. We're not thinking that, you know, you have to reduce the profits if you want to increase the impact. Not at all. If you want something to be sustainable, it has to be a profitable business. If you want it to be scalable, it has to be very profitable business. The more profitable it is, the easier it will be to bring investors in and to scale it. I mean, that's common sense. So, but somehow, when it comes to impact and to low and middle income communities, people tend to uh, see it other ways. Maybe you know, from the aid perspective, which is you know, historical aid perspective, um, and and maybe philanthropical lens. You know, 
if you want it to be sustainable, it has to be profitable. If you want it to be scalable, it has to be very profitable. The more profitable it be, the more scalable it be, it will be, and the more impact that will do. So if I have more investors in, I will be able to create more impact. If I'll have a losing business, I will probably create negative impact in the end of the story. And I might, you know, create white elephants or, you know, white elephant services that people have. Uh, and that's where we don't want to be. So when we uh, do the due diligence, the financial, I would say uh, there's no special treatment on the financial due diligence because we look at that as an important investment. It will be financial due diligence and business due diligence as if we're not impact investors. Okay? So all the financial due diligence will be normal, traditional, conventional financial due diligence, regardless of what this business is. Okay, and the impact due diligence would be, you know, first of all, see that it's within what we want to deal with. So, you know, we have exclusion lease, you know, we, we don't do you know, oil and gas, we, we, we want to commercial logging. So, first of all, to see that it's not in the exclusion list. Then to see all the ESG parameters, basically that, you know, you do no harm. Uh, you can do you know, wonderful social business and, and damage the environment, and you can do wonderful environmental business and you know, damage local communities, and you can do wonderful social business so for one social segment and damage another or you know, hurt uh, other social segments or other communities. So first of all, do no harm. That's, the, the, I would say, the, the first thing. First of all, do no harm. And the second thing would be, what is the positive impact that you're trying to create? What's the theory to change? What is your contribution? Uh, would that business happen even if you were not there? And then you're just you know, joining a trend and calling yourself an impact investment. We don't want to do that. We want to see our delta. We want to see our contribution to investment. And then who is positively affected you know, by this investment? Who are the beneficiaries of this business? Um, uh, is it related and uh, to the community and the locality that it is within? Or is it just, you know, there's a, a cheap land somewhere and then you build something that has nothing to do with the local, uh, with the locality where, where it is and it's totally disconnected, which again, we find that if we want something to be resilient, it has to be connected to where it is geographically and to the beneficiaries of, and to the communities. Uh, we will do all, all that. And we will create a very clear metrics of what we're trying to achieve, how we're going to measure it, and how we're going to monitor it. Uh, so the due diligence would be uh, all that. So uh, if the impact due diligence will say, okay, we can do that, that's the corrective plan, for example, for an existing business. That's the corrective plan for uh, the ESG. I'll give you an example. It's a great uh, dairy factory creates you know food security it's great it's all good uh, affordable products uh, you know local production local consumption helping smallholder farmers it's all good but the waste from the dairy factory today goes you know right to the river so when we come as investor we'll say well, that's the corrective plan that we want to be to do there and of course everything you want to do has financial implication so it will not be that's the desire it will be this is it let's check how much it costs let's check that we can accommodate that um and how we do that and let's check when we are going to monitor it 
So it will be a corrective plan. It will be an implementation plan for the So that's the due diligence part. And then, you know, monitor and measure. It's impossible to, to talk about uh, investment in general without talking about the government. Um, you know, how do you handle regulatory uncertainties um, when it comes to, to investors? And I have to ask this specifically because um, the nature of impact investment comes, you know, interacts with a lot of sectors that, you know, overlap with, with regulations. So for example, there is no way you can touch energy without, you know, touching into regulation and the balance, you know, between the role of, of, of government and the role of, you know, private sector. But just to sort of narrow down the, the discussion, um, how 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 do you overcome regulatory uncertainties like, for example, um, changes in taxation policies and how does it affect investors like Bible? Yeah, uh, as, as you say, it's always a challenge. I mean, you have to analyze and understand that as part of the, your risk uh, analysis. And you know, we work in emerging markets, we work in Sub-Saharan Africa, and basically, you know, that's, that's part of what you do when you go into a business you're trying to understand what's the risk uh, coming from that side. And again, in different businesses, uh, it affects differently. So I would say sometimes the more essential products, if you're disconnected from uh, any government, you work directly with the market, it's, uh, it's uh, maybe less um, less risky. And sometimes, like as you say, in, you know, in, in a power purchase agreement with the government, you're totally exposed to the government, right? Um, so it, I think it is a case-by-case case thing, and it is exactly like currency um, and, you know, uh, how you deal with, with local currency, uh, where your investors uh, are, you know, are um, in, invested in foreign currencies and us as Vital, we, we, uh, we have to distribute in foreign currencies, so in dollar euros but we invest in sometimes local currency um, businesses. So that's part of the, you know, where is this business? What, how is it related to the government? What's the risk from regulatory and market? I think it is a, it is much a case by case. I would say something interesting here that, that, that uh, you know, you can uh, easily analyze that in a in well-developed market. I wouldn't say easily, but you can analyze the risks and understand where you are in the developed market, you know, like Kenya, as you mentioned, uh, and you can kind of get to a conclusion there and say, well, this is the risk, this is my mitigation uh, measures, and decide if you're willing to go or, or not to go there. So you can work effectively here on a well-developed market, and you can sometimes work effectively in the very uh, undeveloped market, you know, in, in the in the countries where you have the strongman president or the prime minister, and you know he wants to do something, and uh, you know he will push it and make sure that uh, that can happen. So that's another place that you can sometimes work effectively. So you can work effectively in the very well-developed market. And I'm talking about regulatory terms, right? Uh, not in other operational terms. You can work effectively in a very well-developed market and in the places where it's very undeveloped and you have a strong man to actually, you know, uh, you know, make things happen by decisions or by quick decisions. And it's actually much harder to work in the, this middle spectrum where 
it's already bureaucratic and but it's very hard to take decisions that things move slower and and you would look at the investment then and i would say for example the the regulatory would say yeah we just need to pass you know two or three laws and a few decrees and you know it has to go to parliament and then you say okay that's that's not for me they'll take that i'll, I'll see that when you know that's not for this cycle let's see see you in a few years and let's stop there uh, yeah. You see, um, even, even in the in the allow me to call them intermediate markets away from the trade streams, there are still areas where you know um, businesses and government have common interest. Or in this case, for example, an investor, like both the government and the business, sort of have a key focus in providing cleaner energy to the people or uh, enhancing last mile delivery. You know. In such cases specifically, how best can investors and companies work with governments to solve these issues? Uh, it is a matter of you know of discussion and first of all having uh, an access to all the information possible. So, for example, I think in power today, with all the power Africa and all the the, the evolution of, of the power purchase agreement and, and, the, and the power industry, um, I think you can understand and you can actually feel. Uh, on a solid ground where you come and you're trying to and you're trying to invest. I think in other sectors, it still needs maybe an open discussion and maybe to work and build this uh, specific definitions together, like uh, you know, water and, and other uh, infrastructure. So I would say uh, where the rules are set, just make sure that the information is available and it's fully transparent and you know people know what's the rules uh, from the beginning so no one wastes time and, and, and resources on just getting to the place where you have the information where the rules are not yet set it's either innovative or not yet very developed um, it has to be it has to be an open discussion um, i like the you know the blended finance uh, approach uh, I think true blended finance, you actually go directly from the uh, theoretical discussion to the practical discussion, because um, and, and then the interests are aligned. Everyone has skin in the game, both the government, the investor, and the investee has, have skin in the game, and, and then the discussion is practical. So again, here. Where it's already developed, just you know, make sure the information is super clear and super transparent, and there's zero work to have it in front of you. And and where it's not yet developed, I think having everyone working on the specific case with skin in the game. Uh, I like PVPs and I like blended finance approach, and I think that's a very good tool to focus everyone to you know how do we make this work. And if everyone, you know, the investee, the investor, and and the authority have skin in the game, there, they will all want to make sure that it works, and not just to be, you know, gatekeepers or you know, or only regulator. I'm, you know, I'm the regulator, and you guys, you know, struggle. I'm not helping. I'm just putting load on your uh, on your venture. So I like these cooperative um, um, ventures. So more of um, the best way to, to work out that model would be like um, having, quote-unquote, everyone's sort of financial interest in the pool. For example, PPP, everyone has financial interest in the pool. 
I think that aligns. I think that that's the quickest alignment that you can get. I mean, that's the quickest alignment that, that you can get. So I think sometimes, and it's actually it actually uh, makes sense because where it is underdeveloped, uh, PPPs with governments make sense. Where it is already very well developed, so sometimes you can let the market, you know, work for itself. Uh, so if if it is an innovative idea or initiative or a, a, a not yet developed sectors, you can come. Uh, you can do PPP and then align everyone's interests. And if everyone has financial interests, people will be practical. You know what I'm saying? Away from governments and regulation, let's talk about um, the vital inventory facility. Um, and I, I find this very interesting because, first of all, the facility launched smart in the middle of the pandemic, so April 2020. And um, from, from what I get from your website is, some of the things that you were looking into is sort of provide um, a buffer for businesses to make it through the pandemic, specifically looking at how um, the pandemic was touching into other sources of investments like FDI, which will likely be uh, for the interest of our listeners who might not have interacted with a vital impact facility. What's the fund all about? What are some of the criteria for businesses looking to apply for the funding? Sure, sure. So, so as you said, it is. Uh, a very specific initiative within Vital, so it's not the main core of what, what Vital does. And up to now, we talked only a lot about the equity investments and how we look at equity investments. And you know, the, the equity stuff is usually big, big stuff. We try to make large-scale uh, impact and good financial returns. So that was the equity stuff. With the pandemic, we looked at we looked at what happens on the ground, and we actually saw the economic wave in Sub-Saharan Africa arriving before the pandemic arrived. So you had COVID economical effects hitting Africa much, much earlier than the actual actual health crisis. And you know, through our portfolio companies and our partnerships on the ground, we saw a, a peculiar new situation. We saw that SMEs that are great, that have you know, good sound foundations, and never needed the help from anyone might not survive. You know, lockdowns, supply chain uh, disruptions, you know, uh, a lot of uncertainties. So, and some of these guys, which were great SMEs, and when I'm saying great, uh, it, they, were, well, they were good financially, okay? They were good businesses and they were creating great impact. And that's at least what we want to look at. So we saw around us, around our portfolio companies, a few companies that were having trouble and actually got to a place where they might not, uh, you know, pass to the other side, you know, with the storm. Um, and when these guys went, you know, as you mentioned, Ali, DFIs and all the, I would say the global support mechanisms were all focused on, on something else now. Uh, everyone made sure that domestically, is safe, so a lot of capital that would usually come in a situation like that, where when it's regional, now was deprived, and banks were not the solution because banks were treating their own uh, clients, right? So, so you have what we've seen, and what what uh, you know what surprises is you have again good business, doing great, never needed any help, and now it might not survive. And when it goes to the bank, the bank says, oh, you know, I have so much, you know, who are you now? What do you want now? Let me save the 
let me save the guys that I'm already uh, exposed. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so that that was one. And the second, it was you know, lockdown. You cannot do a large scale equity investment when you cannot be on the ground. Okay. So we said, okay, we're going to have some time that we're not going to do. Um, you know, large scale equity investment is not possible. What are we trying to do? We're trying to do good financial returns and we're trying to do good impact. How can we do that now? And when I said before that we are trying to, uh, you know, that we are we are trying to go uh, bottom up. So that was the bottom up. What's happening on the ground? What's actually happening? That's one side. What are we trying to do? Impact investment. Let's find how we do it now during the pandemic. Let's not wait and talk about impact investment when you know great SMEs are dying. You know what I'm saying? Let's put uh, again. Let's put the money where our mouth is. The reality on the ground is this: we can now do zooms and we can do conventions and we can discuss on you know many stuff. It will not help anyone. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We can sit confined in our house and discuss uh, a lot of stuff in zoom calls. That will not help and that will not create impact uh, in the, and that will not be impact investing in this year. So, and that's where we launched the beef. We said, okay, let's look at these companies. Great, you know, good companies, good foundations. We're not looking to, again, in the equity, we, we love turnarounds. You know, we love special situations, okay? We can come and make a change. Here, no, we want someone which is great and, you know, is was doing great before. So let's look at this company and let's see how we come in and we help them to go through the next stage and with this difficult situation and to continue creating the great impact and the great and the good financial returns that they were doing before. Let's look at it at SMEs. Let's look at it from uh, uh, from you know that credit uh, uh, perspective and not not the equity perspective. And so it will be uh, simple. So that's that. And we also look at how we can accommodate that. Uh, we have a, a bit less of experience with that kind of, of operational investment. So, so uh, you know, we look for uh, I would say the best in the field. And we found uh, Ido Boysen. And we, we, you know, we called him to the flag and he immediately loved the idea and, uh, and you know, took up the lead on that. So he, he joined Vital in order to do that. Uh, he has, uh, a, a, I would say, there's, there's, there's no other guy that knows better than him how to invest in SMEs in Africa, uh, uh, you know, from the credit perspective. And that's exactly what, what we needed on board. Uh, Ido, Ido worked uh, in Brofin, he invested uh, for more than 10 years. He led, he led Brofin, he invested in... Uh, um, Many SMEs across the continent, and investing in SMEs—that—that's his craft, and you know, he knows everything that we would have needed to learn. So you know, that was a very, very good synergy, and we're working great together. And so, Gilles is leading this facility. We uh, identify the geographies, the sectors. We uh, define the criteria that that we're looking for. Again, in order to look for these. Uh, New missing middle, the good companies that are that are in trouble now, and uh, and we launched. So, so that was that. Let me get this straight. So, um, you guys launch an, a loan facility, if you'd rather, at um, 
at a rather interesting time, you know, most lenders are trying to back off from lending. And if Kenya is anything to look at, banks were not as um, accommodating to, to lending to SMEs. And justifiably so, provisions rose throughout the roof across the industry, yeah? And just apart from apart from the fact that you know most businesses were you know facing facing trouble, so you know the chances of money coming back the way it's supposed to be would be slightly less than, than it would be in, in normal circumstances. You guys are also entering a, a new field, so you're flying blind um, into a new sector right in the middle of a pandemic. How was your experience, and uh, essentially, how did COVID nineteen affect some of the loans you gave out? Yeah, so. First of all, you know, we, we start from the reality on the ground. Uh, you know, we start from the reality on the ground. So that was the need. It's not that COVID surprised us. COVID was what created the challenge and the opportunity. So that was a response to COVID. So the, everything that happened that is still happening, that was that's the target of this facility. So this facility is targeting exactly exactly the rollout of what of the economical challenge. Um, right. about, about flying blind, I would say this. First of all, sectors, you know, markets and sectors are not new to us. So, you know, agro-processing in East Africa is not a new market and not a new sector for us. We haven't landed to SMEs in this sector market. You know, we are well-versed in the sector and in the market. So we didn't go into something that we don't know. We uh, went into markets that we're kind of familiar with and definitely to sectors that we're familiar with, um, you know, uh, if you talk, you know, the, the latest, you know, energy and uh, agro-processing are sectors that we are very familiar with and some of our nice and bigger equity investments are. About the credit operation, yeah, that was something that we needed to uh, enhance the team with and that's why we took uh, Guido, which is, you know, the best navigator that you can uh, take and the best uh, pilot and navigator that you can think of when you want to, as you say, fly blind somewhere <laughs> so uh so so that was that now how did the covid effect the covid effects you know disruption in supply chain disruption in cash flow um the inability for these guys to take some credit to go to the bank and take some you know normal credit that they would have been eligible to in, in normal days that was the target of the fund so that's why this uh, facility is for um, and the idea was again to be on the ground not to have concept and then go to the investors and fundraise and then you know and uh, and then come back to the market after so much time and the situation is this change and the idea was you know we're on the ground we see what's happening now we took 10 million dollars and you know we immediately you know opened the gates so that that was the idea um we, we saw and still see a lot of demand for this facility, and that definitely uh, proves that the product was the right for the time. Um, and we actually see how it helps and how it, you know, fulfills its primary mission. So I think that was a that was a very, very interesting uh, and 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 good uh, way to answer the local need and the dynamic environment that that built up around the. Earlier, um, you shed light into the fact that you guys um, invest in both um, local currency and foreign currency, and you know currency fluctuations are, are not new to to Africa. You know, 
We've seen crazy cases in both um, in markets like Kenya and Nigeria. And you know, smart in the middle of COVID-19, for example, the Kenyan shilling was not doing well against the dollar. Of course, during COVID and beyond COVID, what are some of the rough measures that um, Vital has just to mitigate, you know, such risks and and how does it affect, say, you know, some of your um tools like the VIF? Yeah, so you're right, it is it is a challenge. It, it, it is a big challenge. I think, again, we don't have any uh, secret sauce. I think companies that uh, have uh, ingredients of export, um, you know, is a, is a natural and good uh, hedge. Uh, you know, if you have an export component and you get uh, hot foreign currency for what you sell, then you're much less exposed to local currencies. So we will, of course, we're very happy to look at the uh, at the companies like that, and then you and then you know all, a lot of the risk currencies uh, is actually mitigated, um, and and some of the companies that we invested in are doing exactly that. Um, I would also say that it's uh, short enough and long enough to be able to sustain uh, momentarily fluctuation. So it's not, you know, it's not a 10 years or eight years investment that you say, okay, let me try to guess what will happen uh, or to estimate what will happen. And it's not, uh, you know, one year that, you know, if something happened, then then you're totally exposed. So I think to, you know, up to, you know, 48 months um, with a great period that gives you a small buffer to accommodate the uh, fluctuations. Now, but is it a risk? Yes, it is a risk. So, so local currency is a risk. You can mitigate it in some ways. Um, you can be fully covered if you're uh, working with companies that do exports, like you know, Rival Nuts. Uh, but it's not that we have a, a full-on, full-proof solution for that. That's a risk. Maybe just looking at some of the, of course, the most recent facilities and the, well, the most recent loans that have um, what are some of the things that we look forward to, you know, from the loan to um, so let's take that. So, you know, first of all, there, you know, if we talked about who's eligible and what we were looking for with this facility, so these are great two examples, you know, great companies doing well, uh, both financially and a lot of impact, you know, premium nuts working with thousands of smallholder farmers, you know, actually giving um, smallholder farmers the economy and the livelihood that these guys depend on. So that's an amazing impact. It's agro-processing, you know, it's within the country. It's not, you know, sending somewhere and someone else, you know, it's not it's not sending raw materials. It's actually agro-processing within the country, working with smallholder farmers and doing well financially. What more can you ask? You know what I'm saying? That's exactly where we want to be. So it's a, a, a good market. Um, it's an agro-processing se sector, it's food agro-processing sector, it's doing great impact, um, it's working with high standards of ESG, it's export, so there's no local currency, uh, almost no, no local currency, so currency exposure, so, and they needed uh, our help, so that's a, that's a great company, I think what can we expect? I think we can expect uh, more and more. You know, the, we can expect uh, uh, we would we we would actually look at these places and say, 
you know, maybe these places are, are places that we can be even more involved. Now we have, you know, a hands-on initial introduction to these specific company and to this specific market, and maybe we can be more involved there. Um, again, as, as I said before, being practical and working where everyone has skin in the game, that's where you learn the fastest and that's where you understand the realities on the ground. Now, coming through that, understanding the realities on the ground, uh, maybe we can uh, enhance the collaboration. Maybe in the future we can come as equity investors. You know, so I think it works as a win-win to everyone. So I think, again, that's an essential thing, an essential mean, both on the utilities and on the solar, uh, you know, renewable energy projects. So again, good company, great local management entrepreneurs, you know, grew up, uh, came to maturity and to great both financial results and impact locally. And now COVID came and you can come and be involved. Uh, so the interesting thing is that I think that without COVID and without this, we would have never met these guys. You know, we would have never come across because they would not look for someone like us and we would not have looked for someone like them. So, you know, talking on making crisis into opportunity, that's a great example for both sides, you know, for both sides. Uh, so I think again here, what can we expect? We can expect looking more and being more involved. You know, uh, you know how collaboration and, and partnerships work. You can talk a lot, but before you started working on something, before you have a few fire tests and a few small situations and challenges, you don't get to know each other. You know, like marriage. Before you have the first few challenging situations, only then you really understand, you know, who you are with. Partnership is the same, where you face together challenges and you build trust and you see that, you know, we actually want to go the same direction, then you can enhance uh, the collaboration. And I think, you know, this facility is a great opportunity to do that. At marriage. Limbert, <laughs> <laughs> as, as we close the interview, close out, earlier we talked about uh, the fact that, you know, the VIF is not vital is about it's just a segment of what you do maybe could you talk about some of the um some of your other offerings of course within within this within the sectors that you worked in and maybe for some of the um smes that are listening to this podcast how can someone apply for the VIF? yeah so here again we try to make it uh, uh, as simple as possible but let me let me just say that you know through this experience and through uh Learning that we are actually considering uh, scaling this up because the need is the need is so big, and again, I think it's I think it is a win-win. So we we're actually considering and we're looking at making it bigger, uh, so we can uh, help and collaborate with more and more SMEs. So that's something that is on the table, and we're looking on how to do that. Uh, again, we wanted to be quick. We wanted to start operating. We want uh, we wanted to be able to assist where the need was. But I think uh, this kind of collaboration investment is definitely relevant to post-COVID environment uh, and, you know, working with successful SMEs and supporting them, um, you know, to do better financial results and to continue and, and maybe broaden the impact is something that we want to do. So if we'll find a way um, to make it a, a bigger operation, not only COVID-related, you know, 
it's definitely relevant to post-COVID. How to apply? We try to make it as simple as possible. You go to, you know, vital capital site, and the first banner there, just not connect, the first thing on the app you'll see, vital input relief facility, you click, uh, and then you have access to all the documents, how you should apply, all the criteria, uh, again, not to waste anyone's time, the, the criteria of who can apply uh, and who uh, cannot. And you just, you, know, you just apply through there. And we promise and we do look at things very fast. You know, the idea is to be on the spot because again, it was built for a dynamic environment. So, you know, we'll get a very quick response on, yeah, you're eligible, you're not eligible. If you are, let's go for due diligence, you know, do this and please do this and that, send us this and that. You know, we of course want to meet, it's not a banking uh, uh, transaction. We want to meet the guys, we want to be on the ground. Um, you know, we want to spend some time, even though it's it's lending, we want to spend time on the ground with the guys. And everywhere we invested in, we spend time on the ground. And if you guys uh, spend time on the ground, and if all work goes well and works well, yeah, let's collaborate. Got it. Um, I think this is all I had today. I really, really enjoyed this chat. And hey, whenever we can do this more, we should. Um, to our listeners, um, Imrit said, if you're interested in the work, just go to vital-capital.com, and it's uh, the 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 is right beside the portfolio on the on the top right. Imrit, thank you so much for joining us in in this discussion, and I look forward to having others. Ali, uh, thank you very much for inviting me. I I really enjoyed the discussion as well, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have more and more stories to talk about. <laughs>